0: For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am fit This is Pastor Michael Rogers from the JAR at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. One more time, pray with me, please. Father, we have this great opportunity to sit at your feet and to let Jesus be our rabbi speak into our hearts and speak into our lives. Father, we want so much to look like him, think like him, act like him, smell like him if we can, so that the world can see Jesus with skin. And we just ask God that you would bless us today by showing us a new way to do that. So Father, remove Carrie and I from this teaching. Let only your truth pass through our lips. If there's anything, God, that comes from she or from me uh, God, we just pray that you would uh, cause us to forget all about that. But if it's yours, God, if it rings with your truth, if it drips with your grace, then may it take root in the heart of every one of us here so that we might be transformed and made new, redeemed and set apart, set on fire and set on mission, filled, God, to be emptied. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. <coughs> Um, I was uh, uh, thinking this week as we were putting together, we, we've been walking through Genesis and just finding what we, what we can about how Jesus must have felt studying these scriptures and going through this process of being human and being taken through the, the, the process of being a bar mitzvah, a son of commandment. Um, And so as we've gone through these things, we've been asking ourselves questions about what Jesus learned from these stories and what we can learn from these stories and how the things that he learned and what it caused him to do uh, can also affect us today. Now, we know Jesus was fully God. And we know that in some form or fashion, there was a part of him that remembered all these stories like they happened yesterday because as God, he was present. But we also know he was human. And we're just trying to process that. What, What value did he see in what we're learning that, that helps us today? And so as we were looking at this passage, we're gonna be in uh, Genesis 14, and, and we're, we've been walking through Abram's life, and he's about to meet this strange priest king. And, uh, and he's about to learn what it means to be successful. And that got me thinking about our own uh, struggle with success. That uh, success means something different for different people. And if we aren't careful, uh, we can let someone else define what success is for us. And so we can, everybody here has probably heard of the American dream. So is successful realizing the American dream? Has the American dream changed today? I would say it has quite a bit because we no longer really talk about it in, in the process of thinking about getting married and having kids and owning a home and all of those things. Um, our young people are not necessarily following the American dream. They have a different idea of success than we do. And if we aren't careful, we can put ourselves in that place where we're chasing success without really knowing what it is. That helped me to realize that I, I had better understand what success is in God's eyes if God is the one that I want to follow. And so um, if uh, chasing success, success without knowing what it is is our tension, Then we always come up with a consider question, and we would really like you to spend 10 or 12 seconds really thinking about this question. How will you know when you have been a successful person? How will you know when you have succeeded? Let's give you a little bit of time to think about that.
1: Okay, so like Michael said, we um, are going to be in Genesis chapter 14 today. Um, But before we get to the 14th chapter, we kind of want to give you just a brief synopsis of what happened um, starting where we left off last week, which is Abram and Sarai in chapter 12, verse 10. Um, And so Michael's going to kind of walk you through 12, 13, and the beginning of 14, just brief synopsis, and then we're going to get into... the the verses that we really want to focus on, okay?
0: Right, because we could literally spend all year just in Genesis and do sermons just in Genesis all year long. So what we're trying to do is get through Genesis and Exodus in the year, and that requires us to not tell you every single story that happens. But each story that happens affects the next one, so we want you to know how it kind of played out. So Abram has been called into a new land, Canaan, you remember that his brother Haran had died and his father had stayed back in Haran when Abram came. But when he got to Canaan, he didn't just get to stay there. God said, I'm going to give you this promise. You're going to have this land. You're, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations, but you still have to live your life. And so he was still a nomad, still living in tents. He built an altar, but he kept moving, got down to the Negev. And about the time that he did, um, there was a famine in Canaan. And so he had to do something to take care of his family. So he went to Egypt where there was no famine. Pharaoh there uh, was uh, a, a, a very powerful man. And Abram was worried because Sarai was so beautiful. And because she was so beautiful, he was afraid that they would kill him and keep her. So he said, you tell everybody you're my sister. And that way they won't kill me. They might even bless me. I'm just trying to figure out that. That mindset where he goes to his wife and says, okay, hear me out. You're going to be my sister for a while so that I can get rich. Okay? But the thing is, it works. They come in. They see how beautiful she is. They tell Pharaoh, he's like, I want her part of my household. And he brings her in there. And then he lavishes gifts on Abram because he's thinking, I'm going to marry this woman. And God, who knows that Sarai is going to be carrying the line of the Messiah, is like, oh, no, no, no. You can't be part of this household. and So he sends plagues on Egypt. And Pharaoh somehow in some way figures out what's causing it. And he goes to Abram and says, what have you done to me? I almost made a huge mistake. What's wrong with you? You need to get out of here now. By the way, take all these gifts. Abram walks away.
1: He literally says, take her and get out of here. Take
0: her and get out of here. (laughs) Abram walks away and he's rich and he's still alive. And he goes back to Canaan. Lot has been with him, and Lot has also received benefits from that. So they go to Canaan, and they settle next to each other. The problem is, I don't know if you remember, but Lot is Haran's son, probably spoiled. His dad died. His grandpa doted on him. uh, Abram took him, even though he wasn't supposed to, and he's kind of gotten used to getting his way. Abram takes him up on a high place and says, all right, look, our, our shepherds are fighting with each other. We're close relatives. Let's not fight. You tell me what land you want, and I will take the other land. And Lot looks around, and he sees that down in the Jordan Valley, it looks like Eden. It is beautiful. There's water everywhere. There's also some cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a little bit of politics, but, man, this is the prime spot. And it says he looks a long time at it. And I think what he's doing is he's thinking, I know I want that land. How can I convince my uncle that this, I should get this land? And after a while, he just goes ahead and openly says, I want that part. Abram says, good, I'll settle here, you settle there, and everything will be fine. Interestingly, it says Lot leaves, and right after Lot leaves, God says, hey, Abram, walk back up on that high place. Look at everything you have to see here. All of it is yours. And I think God is making a point of saying, I'm the giver, not you. I'm the one that's the giver. And you're going to find give and take is all through this whole passage. So there's giving and there's taking. Uh, Abram is given a bunch of stuff. He goes into the new country. He gets with Lot. Lot takes this uh, special piece of land. He gets what's left. God says, no, 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 that's not up to you. As a matter of fact, didn't I tell you to leave your relatives at home? (laughs) You should have left him at home. But now he's got the best part, but I want you to know I have promised you all of this. Did you forget? Did you forget that I'm the <laughs> giver? You're the receiver. You don't get to take, and you don't get to be the one to give. I'm the one that gives. And so Abram hears him and blesses God, thanks God for it and everything. They go to living their lives. The problem is because it's such a lush valley, the Jordan Valley, there are literally nine kings around the area. And five of them decide to rebel against four of them, and they have a big fight. And at the end of the fight, the kings that win drive the kings that lose away. Two of the kings that lose are Sodom and Gomorrah. They drive them through these tar pits, and there are people who are dying along the way. It is possible that the kings died there. But when when they drive them through like that, they also then take all of their goods and all their people. And here's why. Because success to them was power influence, and wealth. Mm -hmm. If they could have the power over the people around them, if they could have the influence on the area, and if they could have all of the wealth, that's what they considered success. And so they took all of that with them, and guess who was part of the people? Lot. So now Lot is taken away, and Abram finds out about it. And Abram, we find out, although he is a fairly peaceful man, has 318 trained warriors in his entourage, and he has three friends, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, and he says, let's go save Lot. And so he takes this small group of men and he harries and harasses the kings until he defeats them, and then he brings Lot back. Now, according to the world, Abram is now successful. He has gone and rescued Lot, and he has taken all of these possessions and all of these people. And he is now the man who has all of the power, all of the influence, and all of the wealth in that area. And that's when we come across Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 24. So we're going to take a look at that um, and talk about what happens.
1: All right, so we're in fourteen seventeen. After Abram returned from his victory over kel did I say that close enough? Close enough. (laughs) And all of his allies, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies. Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre.
0: So let's take a look at the story. Let's see Abram coming back from victory. And he now, he has his warriors with him, he has his friends with him, and as he's making his way back, we find two kings waiting for him the king of sodom now this may be the actual king that had gotten into the mess in the first place and caused all of this his name was berah which literally means in evil and this king is coming because he, in the in the victory that abram won think of it this way he Sodom lost to these other kings. They lost to Abram. Everything Sodom had, those kings had. Now, everything Sodom had and those kings had, Abram has. And Sodom is coming, it may have been him, but it may have been that the actual king, Berah died in the tar pits. If so, then this is his successor and that would make it even more poignant because if I think success is power, influence, and wealth, and I'm a king, and I just lost everything, and there's the man who had it all. I want to remind him of how things are done around here, especially because Abram's the new guy. So Sodom goes to this uh, a king, and he talks to him about what he's supposed to do. But what he's there to do is to take. He is there to get more for himself as much as he can. There's another king, though, and his name is Melchizedek, and Melki means king, Zedek means righteousness. His name literally means the king of righteousness. See the juxtaposition between Barah, in evil, and Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. This king of righteousness comes from the same area, but from a place that actually in the, in the uh, Hebrew language would be Shalem, which is a root, the root of that is Shalom which means peace, not just peace like no confrontation, peace like wholeness, like completeness, like I'm at peace with myself. He is the king of righteousness, but he is also the king of the place that's called peace. That place, Shalem is going to become Jerusalem. And so it is the ancestor to, so to speak, of the city of Jerusalem. And when Melchizedek comes, he is representing that um, and Jerusalem really means the place or the, 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 uh, the wellspring of peace. Mm-hmm. And so Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, is coming from the place of peace. And when Melchizedek comes to him, he brings some bread and wine. Now, that would not be uncommon because they are coming back from a battle and so they have had to live off of whatever they could get at the time. And they may have had to live off of the spoils on the way back, but they haven't had them a decent homemade meal in a while. And so Melchizedek brings them bread and wine as a sign of victory, as a sign of celebration to say, hey, we are so glad that you did this. A matter of fact, you created peace in the region. Out of nine kings now, there's just a couple left, and most of them are peace-loving and don't want anything to do with the, the politics of the day. And so I want you to see that we're celebrating the victory that you had. And then Melchizedek gives a blessing. Now, the interesting thing about Melchizedek is not only is he the king of righteousness, not only is he the king that comes from the place of peace, he also is known as a high priest of what is called El Elyon, which means the God Most High. Now, in Canaan, there were a lot of gods that were believed in, So a reason to call the God of the universe, God most high, is to show that whether there are other gods or not, this is the God that matters. This is the one that is greater than all, okay? And so as the king, he provides bread and wine, but as the priest, he's going to provide something even greater.
1: Right. So let's look at verse 19 because the word blessed is, is said three times here. In verses 19 and 20. But I think it's really important for us to understand what each one of those blessed means. Okay? So in 19, it says Mikilzedek blessed Abram. And that word blessed there actually means recognized. In other words, I see you. I see your great wealth. I see what you've done. I see the victory that you that, that has been provided to you. And I see that you have all of these things. So I am blessing you, Abram. I recognize you, Abram, with this blessing, right? And then...
0: In medieval times, they would say they're paying homage to him. Correct. They're saying, I am letting you know. I'm not a vassal to you. I'm not Mm -hmm. less than you. But I am recognizing your place Mm -hmm. and who you are.
1: I see you. Mm -hmm. So then he says, blessed be Abram. And that word blessed there actually means pay respect to. Mm-hmm. I am paying respect to you, Abram. And it says by God most high. But in most translations, that word by actually means of. So I am paying respect to you, Abram, of El Elyon Adonai.
0: You see how that changes okay? things? He's not saying you are blessed by God. He's saying you are blessed of God. Mm-hmm. He is recognizing Abram's position in God's economy. So he first recognizes Abram's position in the world economy. I'm giving you a blessing. Mm -hmm. Then he recognizes that he is blessing Mm -hmm. him as the one who is favored by God.
1: Right. And then he goes on, he says, of course, El Elyon, Mm -hmm. creator of heaven and earth. Now, there's been some folks who have said that heaven there really means heaven and then some say it's just the heavens the whole universe right so there's been some debate over what that word heaven really means but the truth of the matter is it really doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because in this context what he is saying is he is the creator of all things right whether it be heaven heavens or earth he is el elyon he is the creator of all he is the supreme being Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so he's saying And blessed be God Most High, or El Elyon, Adonai, again. Now that blessed in 20, and blessed means, that word there is barak, which means to kneel. So he's basically saying, and I kneel, right? And kneel before the God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. And so he's giving credit to El Elyon, to God, for the victory that was just won. Here is Abram. Three hundred and eighteen men versus an entire city of warriors. Five kings. Five kings worth of warriors warriors. and only three hundred and eighteen men, and he defeated them. I mean, what are the chances, right? Very slim. So we later on Gideon's gonna think he's
0: the first one who did that. He's not, he's (laughs) the second.
1: Right? So we know it's the God most high who gives him the ability to defeat his enemies. Now, the reason why we wanted to take time to really break down those three words of blessed is because there is two um, theologies here about Melchizedek. The first theology is this is actually Christ appearing before Abram pre So Christ is coming to Abram. He is the priest of the God Most High, and he is blessing Abram. That's the first theory. But the second theory, which after we studied what those three words of blessed meant, actually would be what we would call a type, T-Y-P-E. So a type is kind of like when we talked about the ark that Noah built and how we talked about the ark was a symbol of Jesus Christ. If we walk into the ark and we allow God to close the door and create salvation for us, in the same way the ark was creating salvation for all of mankind, so Jesus is our salvation, right? That is a type. Right. So anytime we talk about a type in the Bible, a type can be a biblical person that is leading or, per, or basically portraying someone who's going to come later on in the, in the Bible. Or it can be a symbol like the ark, or it can be, um, it's either a person, a place, or a thing right mm-hmm. and that can be a type so the second theory here is is that michelzedek is actually a type of uh, king who is representing the christ who is to come
0: yeah okay so christ is going to be priest prophet and king this is a priest and king
1: mm-hmm. who
0: is showing us different things that we can really attribute very similar as a matter of fact paul if you really want to do a deep dive right. going to hebrews first eight chapters of hebrews talks about how Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than any man, he's greater than anything else. What Paul's doing is proving his deity, and he uses this and uh, the Messianic Psalm 110 to prove that this Melchizedek is a type of the, the kind of priest that Jesus is going to be. Right. He comes from nowhere. He disappears without us knowing what happens to him next, so it's almost like he's eternal. He brings bread and wine, as Jesus is going to bring bread and wine to us so that we can remember what his sacrifice was. He is blessing them of God. He is coming from a place of peace. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. There are all of these things that are similar to Christ. And Psalm 110, we found out, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament because it says... I have put your enemies uh, uh, under you, like a Mm -hmm. uh, major that made them your footstool. He also says, "I'm going to seat you at my right hand," and he says, "You are going." I I have promised. I have vowed it. It's going to happen. You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. And so that concept, Jesus even references twice, Mm -hmm. and could have easily said, "By the way, I was Melchizedek," but doesn't. No. It, it, so could it have been him? Yes. Mm-hmm. Could it also have been a type of him? Yeah. Yes. Does it matter in the end which one it was? Yeah. No. Because it brings us to the same place. And Paul really does a deep dive into Melchizedek and how he is a type of Christ. And he talks about how later on then, he even goes about the tabernacle, how it's a shadow of the things that are real. Mm-hmm. The type is a shadow of the reality that is heavenly. This is an earthly view of it. I want you to have a heavenly perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And so where for the world success is power and influence and possessions, for God success is living inside his blessing. Mm -hmm. Success is saying I'm going to live in his blessing no matter what. So we see this king come to Abram after his victory and what does he do? He gives and gives and gives. He gives him bread and wine. He gives him a blessing, and he gives him the blessing of recognizing that he wasn't the one that won the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Right. Uh, there's a place in Scripture where it says, not by my power nor by might, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's reminding him that that's the case.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And right about the time he gets done talking, that other king starts talking. <laughs> this king of Sodom, whose, whose name may mean in evil. And he says, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give back my people who were captured. Now, in the Middle East at this time, this would have been normal. If a king had someone else take his people and his possessions, the king has a right to keep his power and influence so he gets those people back. Okay. It is also true the second part, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. This would also be true because the king, king of Sodom did not risk anything to get all of that back. Abram risked everything to get all that back. The king of Sodom should get the people, but Abram should get to keep everything. Spoilers, spoilers. So Sodom is not offering to give him something. Sodom is just recognizing the fact, that, but making it sound like he's being gracious and generous. Oh, you can keep all that other stuff. I get the people, but you get to keep the other stuff. And Abram, what Abram hears is, he hears a trap. If I take anything from this person, I'm I'm putting myself in a place where he can say, well, the only reason Abram's where he is is because of me. So Abram replies to him, I solemnly swear. I can see him holding up his right hand. like (laughs) I'll tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, Adonai El -El 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 Elyon. Is actually Yahweh El Elyon, but the Jewish people don't like to say out loud the the name of God, Yahweh. So they would say Adonai, Adonai El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth, which by the way, that word creator can also mean possessor. And if you possess something, you own it. And if you own it, it's only yours to give. He just learned the lesson after trying to give something to Lot. And he says, I remember now, This is all his anyway. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what this king wants. It's all his. So he says, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will not take so much as a single thread or a shoestring. I'm not taking a sandal thong from you. Otherwise you might say I'm the one who made Abram rich. The only thing he asks is that Sodom allows his warriors to take their share because they put in the risk. And that his friends would get their share because they helped. But for himself, he takes nothing. He says, you know what, I already have the blessing of God. I already have the blessing of the king of righteousness and the king of peace. I already have wealth from when I was with Pharaoh. I need nothing from you. Everything I have comes from him, and I want to honor him and not. A way to to think about living in his blessing is living in his blessing makes us generous and grateful he was generous in that he made sure that his friends all got what they needed he was generous not only in that but in saying here uh, um, the part that we skipped right there in the middle is then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered Abrams response to Melchizedek is to pay tribute to him even though they are equals in this in this situation He's recognizing Melchizedek as a representative of God and he's saying, I wanna honor God and be blessed by God so I'm going to give back to him. So he's generous with that 10th. This is the first time tithe is mentioned in the Bible. Notice it's before Moses and Aaron. It's before the Levitical priesthood. It's before the law. It's before any established idea of how you're supposed to live your life has been set by God. One of the first things that happens is a tithe happens. And Paul says, since Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe, and Abram becomes Abraham, father's Isaac, father's Jacob, father's Levi, it's like the Levitical priesthood tithed to Melchizedek through Abraham. And because that is the case, we should also be considering how we give to Christ as a priest of the order of Melchizedek. So when we live in his blessing, we recognize that the way to stay in his blessing is to stay grateful for what he's done for us. He's the giver of all things. And to be generous with it because we can't outgive God.
1: Right. And notice, too, you've got two kings here, right? So one of the things we're learning from Abram here is aligning yourself with those who align with God. Amen. He had a choice. Abram did in that moment. He had two different kings with two different ideas. One was evil and one was with God. And he chose in that moment to align himself with the king who who was the priesthood or in was following it with God. And I think that's really important. We need to remember that we should always be aligning with what God says, not with what other people say. Right? And so a lot of times in the church we can get wrapped up in this. Mm, you know, yes. if we've been going to church for a long time or with a group of people for a long time, and you've been my friend for 20 years, you know, and you're disagreeing with something, it's not that I don't love you, but I need to be asking myself, is this still in line with what God wants? Or is this in line with what Michael wants? Right, right. Right? So we need to learn this lesson here from Abram, which is always make sure, no matter what your ties are, no matter what your family relationship is, you always still need to ask yourself, is this the will of God? Does this align with what he would want? And is God still in the driver's seat?
0: I would say this right? is one of the main reasons for division in the church today is that we sometimes think because we are aligning with our friends that we are aligning with God, but we've never even asked him what he thinks. I don't know about you, but there are sometimes when I pray and when I'm, when I'm praying, I'm not really asking God. What I'm doing is telling God what I hope happens. Right. And we can get to the place where we are praying to God, but we're telling him what we hope happens because our friend or our relative or this leader that we followed for so long or this pastor that we love so much, we're looking at that and we're saying, boy, we, I really want them to be right. So God, can you make them right and I'll align with them? When what we need to be doing is saying, God, if my brother or sister, if my pastor, if my elder, if my deacon, if my Sunday school leader, if my friend is being led astray, let me be the one who sees it so that I can bring them back mm-hmm. within alignment to your will. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust that they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to align with them because they're probably with God. Let's be sure that we really are aligning with God in what he wants instead of what a person wants. Right. At the same time, it is also true that people notice when we are living in his blessing. It doesn't say Melchizedek ever met Abram before. We don't know what their relationship was before. But when Melchizedek came with bread and wine for the warriors, we don't know if he was intending to bless or not. But what we do know is once he was in the presence of Abram, there was something about Abram where he said, you're of the God most high. You're someone who has been listening to him. God gave you that victory. And he blesses him. He recognizes him as one who is blessed of God not just blessed by God. To be blessed of God means I'm living in his blessing. I'm not just asking him for his blessing. And we sometimes, when we pray, we ask for his blessing and he becomes Santa Claus. We need to ask if we can live and be a part of his blessing. And that means fill us so that we can be emptied for others. And that's why we teach what we teach here at the church. So
1: when, another question you can ask yourself is, when I reach accomplishments... Do people recognize me in that, Mm. or do they recognize God in that? Yes. And that's a question we need to be asking yourself whenever you do find success, whatever that may be, little or small. We need to remember that we are giving God the glory and don't take that from him. Mm -hmm. And people need to recognize that in us. The other thing that I've noticed about this story with Abram is that he was prepared to act when God called him. Last week we talked about the call. And what does that mean? What is God asking you to do that's outside of your comfort zone or maybe in your comfort zone? What is he calling you to do? And here we see in this story, Abram had 318 trained men just sitting ready to go, ready to fight. Right? I mean, he was prepared. He, I don't know if he knew that there was, I'm sure he knew some of the grumblings. Probably some but tension. But he was prepared. Yeah. He was prepared to te- protect his family, to protect his own. And... Just like we talked about, Lot gets captured. The first thing he does is say, "I got to go rescue my nephew and his family." Right. right? His loyalty to his family, and he's prepared and ready to go. I had put this put this down, but when our eldest son Eli, he played football in high mm-hmm. school all four years, and he played in middle school, and he really never got to start. And he was a good player. He was, you know, he was always there for practices. He was always there to, on the sidelines, geared up and ready to go. Um, but he never got to start. But he wanted to play, and all week in practice, he gave it everything he had to coach. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember the first time he got knocked out, which I really didn't want to know about, <laughs> because the coach had put him up against one of the best players, one to of their tackle. best
0: running backs. To no tackle. one else would take him on. He was yeah. saying, "Who wants? Who wants to go against this guy?" And no one would say yes. And Elijah said, "I will, coach."
1: Elijah said, "I'll do it." He said, "All right, Eli." lined him up the kid hit him so hard knocked my son clean out
0: he actually he he grabbed him and he landed on him yeah and then he woke up to his coach going hey hey you all right
1: (laughs) (laughs) but when we would go to watch Elijah play during the game he would stay and he, he was really good about this he would you'd see him he would stay right by the coach right by the coach The coach would be walking up and down, up and down, back and forth on the field as the game was going on, and Eli would be right behind him. Why? Because he wanted to be ready. If coach needed a player mid-game, or another player got hurt, if he turned to look to see who he was going to call- First thing he saw was
0: 42.
1: He'd see 42, Elijah Rogers. Eli, go out. And there were times when Eli played. And I really think it's because even though he wasn't the biggest kid or the strongest kid out there, the all four years of high school, he was already always right next to coach on, on his heels, right? Saying I'm ready to play coach, put me in. And so the question is, does God know he can count on you when he needs a player? Mm. And are you ready like Abram was?
0: So instead of worrying about being blessed by God, be blessed of God. Mm -hmm. Because if you're blessed of God, then you're always ready. And Whatever He asks, whatever He's willing to do. And we've talked about this a little bit before. The big yeses don't happen right away. They start with the little yeses. And a lot of times the big yeses are to send people out to convince everybody to do the little yeses. Because it's the little yeses where God works in real life. The big yeses are the ones we see but the little yeses are the ones that move people into faith. And that's that's what we see happening uh, all around us. And and we're excited to get to be a part of that. But we want you to see that this is what it means to be successful. Being successful doesn't mean you have a lot of power to be able to do things for God. It doesn't mean you have a lot of influence to be able to get things done for God. And it doesn't mean have a lot of wealth so you can afford to uh, support things for God. It means being blessed of God in such a way that when he turns around to see who he can send, whom shall I send? You're just like Isaiah. You're right there going, here am I. Send me. Or our son Elijah if you're playing football. <laughs>
1: I think the other thing too, when we going back to the gratefulness in the 10th, I'm pretty sure, and I know I would feel this way, if I have two kings show up and one king sees me, right? We saw three blessings there. He sees me. He recognizes me, and then he honors me with a blessing from God Most High. In my mind, I would be thinking, wow, God really does. Once again, he has shown up and showed me that he loves me and enough to send this king to tell me so, right? And so out of that comes gratefulness. Mm. Abram recognizes it. He sees it, and he has a grateful heart for that blessing and therefore then gives a tenth. And when we give, whether it be of money, of time, of talent, right, because when we say giving here at the jar, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about your gifts and your abilities that God has given you to be ready on the sideline to be put in for play. And, you know, he's saying, Abram, when he he saw this, he was so grateful that he said, I'm going to give back a tenth of all the things that I have gained because God has blessed me so much.
0: 1 John 4 1 says great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are already blessed. If he never gives us anything else, we are already blessed to be called children of God and to be saved from an eternity in hell and to get an opportunity to spend all of eternity with him. That in itself is a blessing. I can walk in that blessing of God, but as I do, what I'm going to find is the seeds that I plant are going to grow and sprout. The more seeds I plant, the more growth and the more sprouting, because you can't outgive God. And so when I put myself in that place, now I know Pastor Steve's story is God reduced him to nothing. And when he started back up from nothing, he started tithing right away. We had an opposite experience. When we understood the real value of tithing, we were at a place where we couldn't tithe and still pay our bills. Right. We had to start somewhere, pick right. a percentage and be faithful with it and say, God, if you're faithful with this, we'll give you a little more. Until we could get to the place where now we're, tithe, we're above our tithe because we believe right. that God will bless us because we are doing it. So we give to the jar just like we ask everyone else to consider doing.
1: Right. Because God wants us to be faithful in our giving because we are giving to him in his kingdom work. Whether it be money, time, or talent, it's we are all a part of his kingdom, and we're giving towards that kingdom. I have this other cute little illustration. It's so
0: cute. Yes.
1: Pastor Dean Rucker of Sunset Point Baptist Church in Clearwater, Florida, was inspired by something his four-year-old son said. He was teaching his four-year-old son Blaze to tithe. Part of Dean's Sunday morning schedule was preparing Blaze's offering. He gave Blaze one dollar to put in an offering envelope with his name on it to give during his Sunday school class, and he would do this every week. One Sunday, Blaze was all about it. He put the dollar bill in the envelope. He licked it, little four-year-old licked it, sealed it, was all excited, had it in his hand, and all of a sudden he got real serious, and he turned to his dad, and he said, Daddy, is God going to open it? (laughs) right he wanted to make sure that God was the one that got it and nobody else right and out of the mouths of babes do we learn what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God Yes. yes he comes to church and he puts that little dollar bill in the envelope and he says now make sure God gets it right That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be faithful in our giving, as faithful as we we would be if it was God himself standing right there in front of us,
0: kind of opening the envelope.
1: envelope. Yes.
0: (laughs) All right. So what does it mean to be successful in God's economy? So first, we are successful when we give thanks for his provision. One of the ways that we can walk being blessed of God, walk in his blessing, is to be grateful for what he has done. And we've, we've tried this, uh, Keith and I, uh, our guitarist, uh, did this uh, in November, I think it was. We,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we shared three things we were thankful for each day. We, I'd text my three to him, he'd text his three to me. And it is amazing how it changed our perspective. And, and I, am, I am not as good at thinking of three things but now anything that happens, I'm imme- my predisposition is to say, man, God is awesome that he would give us that. Mm-hmm. I know that nothing comes to me. There is no good thing that comes to me unless it comes from him. And so one of the ways to walk in his blessing is to be grateful for his provision at all times. Hebrews 12, 28 says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him yes. with holy fear yes. and all.
1: If you want to mature in your walk with Christ, that's the way to start, is just to be thankful, even for the little things.
0: Now, I believe little Abram little was thankful, but the very next thing he did is the second step, which is we are successful when we return a portion to him. 2 Corinthians 9-11 speaks to what uh, Pastor Steve was talking about. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, yes. they will thank God. One of the great things that we love, we recently got a chance to help a couple of people, um, and it's because of the giving that's happened to the JAR, Mm -hmm. and we have just been slowly building up. The Jews would not only give 10% to the temple, they would also save 10% to help their neighbors. Right. And so one of the things we do here at the JAR is we have 10% of of all of our giving that goes to missions and ministries and things like that. But we have another ten percent that we hold on to for what what most churches call benevolence. Um, so if there is a family in town that has a need, so there was a, a family of four recently that was living in a motel and they did not have any food, and we were able to buy them groceries. That is a blessing. We are we are we were able to do that because. There were people who gave to the jar in the first place so we could have that money set aside and we could help them out with that. You're gonna be enriched in every way so that you can be generous because when you are generous and we take those gifts and help those who need them, they will thank God and I can promise you there was a whole lot of thank God happening in that little family that day, okay? So that's give thanks for his provision, return a portion to him, And then seek heavenly rewards, not earthly rewards. We talk all the time about needing a heavenly perspective instead of an earthly perspective. And I think when Jesus read this whole thing, what he's getting from it is to remember to stay in the heavenly perspective, not in the earthly perspective. Abram understood who Melchizedek was because he saw things from a heavenly perspective. He didn't see what he could gain from the situation. He saw what blessing he had received from the situation. And because he had received blessing, he responded by giving. Mm -hmm. And so when we seek heavenly rewards, what we find is it's easier to give up the earthly things. When power, influence, and wealth is what we base our success on, it's hard to give them up. But when his blessing is what we base our success on, power and influence and wealth can be given away with no thought at all. That's a heavenly perspective. So we want you to see that. So that's actually Jesus who said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. It was more important to him to have the kingdom of heaven than it was to have anything else. So he gave up all of his wealth and his riches so that he could have the field where he could find that treasure. And that was just a way for Jesus to help us to understand just how valuable the kingdom of God is. And then the last one is: we are successful when we just live in His blessing. Mm-hmm. If we just live in His blessing, one of the things I love is that this this psalm finds its way all through Acts. And so Peter, when he does his uh, first sermon, right before they say, "What must we do?" Then he's talking about Psalm one ten. He's talking about how Jesus has had all of His enemies made His footstool, and He's sitting at the right hand of God. And they go, "Oh my goodness, what must we do? Repent to be baptized." for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this story was the basis for the Psalm, was the basis for the part of this first sermon that caused people to say, I need Jesus. And 3,000 were baptized that day. That's how powerful this story is. When we understand and live inside that blessing, then we will understand what that means. So the apostles then, a couple of chapters later, testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. It doesn't say, and God made them rich. Right. It doesn't say, and God made them powerful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, and God made them very influential in the community. It says, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And that's our desire for you. Mm-hmm. We want to see you blessed of God Because when you are blessed of God, you can be blessed by God because God knows he can trust you with what he blesses you with.
1: Right. And I want to say this for either whoever's sitting here or whoever's on the podcast or radio station, don't lose heart on your journey, though. Oh, yes. Like, we've given you a list of things to do, and sometimes those things are hard to meet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially when life hits, right? Um, But don't lose heart. When you hit those bumps along the way in your journey and you feel like there is no way that I can meet those four things you just talked about, mm-hmm. don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep asking God to redeem you, to use you, and to be ready. Mm-hmm. Stand next to God like the coach that he is and yes. say, I'm ready to play, Lord. Use me. Yes. And he will when the time comes. Um, the beauty of, of our God. <laughs> you know, At We're least. his children. And he wants to bless us. I
0: had this image of 72 disciples gathering around Jesus and Jesus going, okay, now I want you to go out and I want you to preach the gospel and you're going to cast out demons and you're going to heal sick people and you're going to do these amazing things that I've Mm -hmm. been doing. And if they weren't right there with him, listening to him, trying to live in his blessing, they would have missed out on an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Later when they come back, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven because they got a chance to be a part of the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ.
1: We have to trust that God's going to complete the good work within you, Mm -hmm. the good work that he has started. And, you know, we're not blessed because we're good people. We're blessed because we are his children. Yes. And when we say yes to him, he's going to say yes to us, because that's the God we serve.
0: Thank you for listening to The Jar. We want you to know the foundation of all this teaching comes from my book, Rethink, which is part of a series called Finding Hope, Faith for the Frustrated. And it's for those people who love Jesus, but they're struggling with the church and trying to understand where they fit inside the faith. It can be found on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can ask for it at any bookstore. We ask that you would think about buying a copy and exploring further what it means to rethink your faith and follow Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength.